So in our data-driven world, I can tell you that people on three continents have listened to this podcast. Something's happening here. I also want to thank everyone who sent me good wishes at the start of this journey and who provided great feedback and critique. Greatly appreciated. So you're about to listen to the third episode of Something's Happening Here. It is a gem of an interview with children's author Deborah Kemp Shoemaker. Deborah gave insight into her books, Freaky Funky Fish and Tell Someone. She also chatted about her childhood growing up on a farm the challenges and process of getting a book published. And I have to say, terrific advice to any aspiring author or anyone else for that matter who have goals in life. She also spoke a little bit about her next book, Peculiar Primates, a follow-up to Freaky Funky Fish. So enjoy. You know, it's this is this is such an honor for me. I really uh, want to thank you for coming on. This is great. This well, is you're just... welcome. I'm glad to be here. I'm honored that you asked me. There you go. Well, I now now I got to apologize to you. Why? Well, you know, um, I made a short intro podcast for this podcast uh, called, and, and the name of the podcast is Something's Happening Here with your host Harlan Marks, and. Um, and I have already had one um, already set up with another author, uh, Mark Reiner, and um, who's a business writer and also a friend like you. But I refer to you as Deb Shoemaker. And Nina, my, the love of my life, um, admonished me and said that you went professionally as Deborah. So I, I, have, <laughs> I have to let everybody know that, you know, welcome to Deborah Kempf Shoemaker, and I have to apologize. So I do, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't want to make this too much, you know, I don't want to no. say sorry too many times. <laughs> no, okay. it's fine. I just felt like on a book cover that yeah. Deb Shoemaker just didn't look, I liked the way Deborah looked better on a book cover Okay. Than Deborah, than Deb. So and it was it was a conscious like branding choice. It, it was a conscious branding choice, right? So when I was growing up, I was Debbie, and when I hit college, I didn't like Debbie anymore. It felt yeah. a little bit young, so I switched to Deb. So most people like you and yes. most friends know me as Deb. I hope you but, consider me one of your friends. Of course, I do. Th thank you. <laughs> so then, when I started writing, and my first publications were in magazines, I debated, but I just felt like I don't know. Deb Shoemaker just doesn't have like the right flow to it. And I don't know. I just like the look of Deborah Shoemaker better. Okay. And then when I started, when I realized that, you know, I, I signed with an agent, there's a good chance I'll get book published. Then I had to think about, did I want my, so Kempf is my maiden name. It's now my right. legal middle name. Okay. Because when I got married, so um, I'm sure you're aware that I have eight sisters and no brothers. Yes, I and... am aware of this. We've talked about <laughs> so, this. Right. So my parents... I'm, one, I'm one of five. <laughs> right. So my parents' name will not be carried on. Okay. And so, because um, we all chose to go with our married names. So then I, when I got married, I legally changed my middle name, which was Marie, to Kempf because I just wanted, I don't know, I didn't get married till I was 30. It was such okay. a huge part of my identity. I just didn't want to give it up. Okay. So then, then the decision was when I signed my first contract for my book, did I want to be Deborah Shoemaker or Deborah Kempf Shoemaker? And I um, wanted to honor my parents. And 
So now legally on all of my books and writing stuff, I'm Deborah Kempf Shoemaker. Cool. That is very cool. You know, obviously uh, your your husband and also a friend of mine, Tom, <laughs> yes. uh, he was okay with it too, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. obviously. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah, I, you know, it's, it's a name that, like I said, had been a part of me for so long. It was weird to think about giving it up. So okay. I think there were two of my sisters who, myself and another sister legally changed our middle names to Kemp and then another sister hyphenated. So, okay. So in in the pecking order of oldest to youngest, where do you fit into to everything? I'm number four. You're number four. Mm -hmm. I was number three out of five. So, so um, I I am you're you're the exact middle. I'm I am the proverbial (laughs) middle. You are the proverbial middle child. (laughs) Yes. Well, I want to tell everybody that tell someone, which is your latest book, and freaky funky fish is your which was your first book i, yes. I just loved both books I, and, oh, and, and, to, and and into any grandparents and there will be grandparents and there will be parents listening <laughs> to this podcast i wholeheartedly recommend both of these books oh, thank I, you, they, they they really um and i, I you know I, I i don't have to um do this as you know but I do this because I believe they're, they're really good. They're Thank both you. really good. And I also want to say that, um, you know, you and I have something in common. And what's that? Even though you're a farm girl from Wisconsin, and I'm a Jewish kid from suburban uh, New Jersey, uh, we both were early readers. Okay. Okay, you read my website. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, hey, you know, I'm going to do research. This is, this, is, this is not some, you know, fly-by-night operation, you know. Come on. Yeah, so, so, you know, what do you remember? Years. Do you remember um, when that event happened and it all came together? I do. I mean, I don't know. You know how memories, you can't 100% believe that they're 100% correct, but right. I do remember it. I remember my mom um, was sewing. I don't know where my older sisters were or my younger sisters for that fact, but so she was in one room and I was in um, the living room, which was around the corner from where she was sewing. My mom sewed a lot when we were little and I was just on the couch and I had um, it's C spot run Timmy and Oh, it was an older boy, a little girl, and then Timmy was the baby boy. And then they had a dog named Spot. But it was one right. of those very simple early readers that had right. lots of pictures in it. So I just, the book was laying around and I just sat there and I read it. And I was four. And my mom, and that's so maybe what I my, older sisters, my older sisters were probably in school. That, that okay. was my guess. They were in school and my younger sister was probably taking a nap. And my mom um, said, Debbie, because, you know, I was Debbie back then. (laughs) Debbie, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading a book. She said, well, you don't know how to read. I said, well, I just read it. (laughs) Hey, mom, what are you talking about? You're already (laughs) putting me me down. You had me come to the sewing, you know, her sewing room. And, um, and I read it to her. So I asked my mom, because once I put that on my website, I asked my mom if she remembered that. And she's like, I do remember that you read really early, but she's like, I don't, she doesn't remember sewing and me, you know, she, she just had remembered that I read She had other things on her mind. <laughs> she had a on. lot of other things on her mind, right? <laughs> so, but that's the memory I have. If it's yeah. 100% accurate, who knows? But I mean, but since then, I mean, I literally, I 
I read all the time. <laughs> well, when my sister said, you know, I don't remember the exact event, but I remember, you know, just putting things together and one of my, my older sister, you know, recognized that I was reading. Yeah. And I, I just, once I started reading, man, I was reading. I right. just love to read. And I wasn't reading age appropriate, you know, you know, books. I, you know, I, I was reading, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. Okay. You know, good for you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my father got a little concerned when I started reading Lolita at seven, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, that's not a book I would give hey, to most seven year olds. <laughs> where'd you find that? Where did you find it? In <laughs> I'm only joking. It's a joke. Okay. So, um, no, I just liked, um, I used to just write, I love reading biographies, actually. Okay. Biographies. Okay. And, and still today, I like to read. That's, um, I would say 30% of the books I read are biographies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of books did you like to read when you were a kid? And they were kids oriented biographies, right? Right. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny because I don't remember picture books back then. And so I grew up in the seventies, um, yeah. being like they are today. Um, we, um, we just, my dad was a reader. So, um, my first things that I remember reading was, um, we had these like Disney encyclopedias. So they were about, oh, an inch, inch thick. And they had, yeah you know, different groupings like literature and science and stuff like that. And they had all the Disney characters kind of, you know, giving out the information in simple. So I remember reading those a lot. And then the, you know, see Timmy, see spots, you know, run type yeah. thing. Um, and then when I got old enough to read chapter books, anything with a horse, you know, I read it. Anything with a horse. I think that's common to many Did you, girls. Did you like My Little Ponies? Uh, I was, they did not exist when I was a child. Oh, my okay. younger sisters liked My Little Pony, but I was old. I think that was more of an 80s thing. Yeah, I guess that was an 80s thing. Yes. And so by, by the time I, but by the time the 80s came around, I was too old for that stuff, Harlan. Okay. <laughs> so, but um, yes. So anything with a horse, um, I, I, whatever I could really get my hands on, I, you know, we, we had a lot of books, but most of the books were, you know, were like free stuff. People right. knew that my family had, my family was a big family and they're like, Hey, we're done with this, you know? So it was more like that. We yeah. didn't go buy books to a bookstore or anything oh, like that. I had a library card pretty yeah. early. Yeah. And that was like, man, I got a library card. Oh yeah. my God. Look, that's my name on the library card. I yeah. just, I love going to the library. I know. Plus it got, me, go to it the got library me out of the too house. Much. What was that? Plus it got me out of the house. Yeah. 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 No, we just, um, my parents, I mean, my dad would go like to rummage sales and, you know, 10 cent books. I mean, we just, we right. had a lot of books. I have no idea where they came from, but I just read anything. <laughs> well, tell, tell me about, you know, how, you know, your, you know, how did the experience of growing up on a farm uh, shape the way that you approach writing, tell someone or, or freaky, uh, funky fish? Oh, I don't know if, I don't know if the way I grew up really influences books at all. I mean, the way I grew up, you know, you just had to work hard for things that you wanted. Right. So when I decided, and you know, being a writer was not like this when I was young, I wanted to be anything and everything. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be a journalist. I was going to be, you know, um, a movie star. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a veterinarian. You know, I, I, every couple months I had a different career. Um, 
I never, me, I don't, me, by the way, me too. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. And, you know, I went to college and, you know, where'd you, I go, majored, to school? Where'd you, where'd you go to school? Uh, Viterbo University in okay. La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's a private liberal arts college. Um, uh-huh. And I graduated with a degree in community medical dietetics. And I worked in nursing homes for a few years. And then, then I made a career switch and I worked for a software company that made software for nursing homes. And I taught the clinical staff how to use it. Sure. Um, you know, but I was always reading and I always had the someday dream that I would, you know, have this attic office, watching the snow fall outside my window and writing a novel. Okay. <laughs> but then when we had kids and um, I mean, even when we moved here at, at, without kids, I first thing I would always do is get a library card. So I just always went to the library. So of course, that's what I did with the kids. My boys have had library cards since they were two. And, you know, they had their numbers memorized by the time they you were want, five. You want to give a shout out to your boys? <laughs> oh, Jack, Sam, and Ben. Yes, they're great boys. They're, you they know, are they're, great boys. They are great boys. And, um, you know, having a library card was, we went to the library. I mean, you know, you need something to do with little kids. So we go right. three, four, five times a week. So um, we started checking out picture books. And I just fell in love with modern picture books again they're not what i remember reading growing up i don't right i, I just don't know if picture books existed in the way um the way they exist today but well, so, sort of like dr seuss you could say is a picture yes. book yes you know? yes you're right and i think that's the one that most people remember that and good night moon good night um, moon um but you know recent picture books are just phenomenal and if you like history yes um the picture book biography market is Oh, you just learn so much. I, I love to watch Jeopardy and I watch right. Jeopardy every night. I record it every night. So I watch okay. it. I can't tell you how many answers I get because I read children's books. <laughs> I mean, I still check out, I mean, my kids are teenagers, but I'm still checking out 10 to 15 picture books a week. So who's your favorite grand champion of Jeopardy? Oh, um, they're all just really fun. I, I wasn't really watching it in the Ken Jennings era. I remember right. hearing about it and tuning in occasionally. Um, I got into regular watching it again um, right around when James Holtzhauer became. I thought he, he was, was. He was. I loved him. I, I thought he was like the greatest of all time. He really I, I, is something. Right. So that, and then Matt Amodio, I thought he was a fun yeah. guy too, just this recent one. And then Amy Schneider, I mean, yeah. she's, she's, I, I don't see anyone beating her. Someone obviously will at some point, but yes. um, she is knocking it out of the park. She doesn't wager as big as James does, right? did, um, but I mean. That was his, stra- he had a, this strategy, yeah. right? <laughs> he did. Like a gambler's kind of strategy. Yeah. But he also admitted, I remember during one of the interviews um, with Alex, he admitted that what to get ready, he would go to the nonfiction kids section of the library because those nonfiction books, like Freaky Funky Fish, <laughs> yeah. they give you facts without a lot of extra stuff you just you get it, it's all very short and to the point so you can right. you know he had a photographic memory i think so yeah i he think he, just, he does or d- does um well i but think most was, of those champions have to well yeah and i i gotta tell you that really leads me to one of the questions that i had formulated was you know your two books really are 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 both very good i i really want to say they are both very good but they both have the, each of them have a, a different tone right. um and 
you know, what was what what got you going to do tell someone, which is your newest book, and I, I would assume your your publisher would want me to keep saying tell someone, tell someone, <laughs> I'm telling someone. So so but, tell someone came out very differently. So freaky yes. funky fish is a book that I had an idea. I went with it. I had a lot of fun writing it. I gave it to my agent. She thought it was great and submitted it to publishers. So that's the way it normally goes. But um, I signed with my agent. It was the summer of 2017, I think. Yeah. And, um, and we didn't sell Freaky Funky Fish. We submitted it in the fall of 2018 and it got picked up um, in January of 2019. Uh-huh. So um, then a year later, so January of 2020, an editor um, with Albert Whitman who published Tell Someone, they, she, an editor actually approached my agent and said, we want a book on open communication, probably titled Tell Someone. Do you have any authors who would be up for attempting to write it? It would have to go through the normal acquisitions process, but right. uh, this is a book we very specifically want. So you, so, you, you, you did it on spec? It was yes, really- I did it on spec. So, um, so, and then, you know, she, um, my agent approached me and I had written, I do write a lot of science and a lot of history, nonfiction picture books, but I also have, um, I mean, I, I write a lot. I've got so many books. Hopefully they'll all get published. They won't all get published someday. Hopefully I'll have lots and lots more to publish. Yes. But I had written a different book um, at the time called Different Kinds of Happy that was addressing an emotional, like harder emotions. And um, we had been out on submission with that. It wasn't selling. I was revising it. So Natasha's like, I think you can write this book. And at first I'm like, oh, I don't know. I've never done, you know, something on spec. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure that that's the type of book I wanted to write. And then of course, as soon as I said, let me think about it, I hung up with her and I'm like, you know what? You always say yes to new opportunities, but my, my gut reaction is always no, <laughs> because yes. I get nervous. And then, so as soon as we hung up, I'm like, of course, I'm going to do it. So then I called her right back. I said, of course, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, so then she connected me with the editor and got a little bit more feel of what they wanted. So that, uh, yeah, I wrote it on spec. So, and I, I wrote like four, three different approaches. I didn't know how I wanted to approach it. Sent them to my agent, probably, I think it was in March of 2020, right when the pandemic right. hit. <laughs> and then she liked two of them and she goes, I'll send these two on to the editor see you know just to get her first reaction on right. and then she actually liked bits and pieces of both so she's like if you continue this is in the direction we're looking for yeah if you could try to you know merge them together and you know so then basically i'd given yeah so by july we had the contract so uh, sure. But it is a very different, very, and a lot of people do because I had two books come out in one year and right. they came out kind of close to each other. And I feel like they're so different. They are so different. <laughs> they're so and, different. Because I was thinking, is this um, uh, driven by experience? I didn't realize that it was driven by, by you know, commerce, which is fine too. But right. I, I, I thought, oh my God, you know. Right. Um, but then I have to, I mean, I have to think about, you know, I, I, I think you have to identify with the subject. So um, with Tell Someone, I was. Now, how old are the kids? How old are the kids that you, you know, did the, the publisher say, hey, this is your target most, audience? Most picture books, you're aiming for that four to eight year old range, sometimes okay, a little bit eight. earlier and sometimes okay. a little bit later. A lot of the nonfiction 
picture books, especially picture book biographies or history, they're geared maybe slightly older, like second grade through fifth grade type thing. But generally speaking, the picture book market is aimed for the most part for four to eight year olds. Okay. So, and I kind of like that first grade, you know, by, by the time a lot of kids are in second or third grade, a lot of them are starting to read chapter books. So I kind of aim for that first grade brain <laughs> right? Um, for the first grade child. So um, I, with that book though, I, mean, I, I was a very, very, very shy child. Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm. I know, can't believe, I actually, I, I cannot believe that. Most people don't, but I was, I was so painfully shy. Um, again, I just grew up with my parents and my sisters. We didn't have it. We, we didn't, you know, we grew up on a farm. We right. didn't have next door neighbors that popped in every now and then. The only yeah. socialization I got until I started school was seeing um, on Sundays, lots of my relatives were also farmers and you kind of took Sunday off. You had to do your basic chores and you kind of just go visiting. Um, you know, right. someone would come by us or we'd go by them. So I played with cousins my age and my sisters. So that's it. And like my older cousins, I had some cousins who were, um, quite a bit older and they were boys and I didn't have any brothers they scared me I mean for no reason except that they just took up a lot more space yeah and they, and they were, were just, different you know, they were different and they were you know they were teens at the time and so they were just had loud booming voices and whatever but I was so shy and in first and second kindergarten and first grade and second grade I I barely said a peep um and I don't think that's the best way <laughs> yeah. you know um so I had, you know, I thought a lot about that. And I thought about times when, you know, the, the publisher had said that they, they didn't want a book to just focus on the hard things. You know, they wanted it to be, you know, you should talk about good things too. So it was kind right. of, that's why I Which, which I really, love. and so anybody that before you, like, this is not some sort of deep reveal, if you don't mind me saying, no. but <laughs> tell people good stuff. You know, right. if you got something good to say, right. tell somebody, which is right, which right. really was not what my expectation was when I started writing a book. I said, Oh my god, this is right. And I think this our is not a dark book, but it's clearly not. It's actually right. a very I mean, it, fun it hits it hits the I mean the 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 point of the book is obviously when things are really bad, you know, kids right. need to tell someone. They right. you know, they need help. But, so they, that you, was, but you take them on this journey of, mm -hmm. you know, good stuff where you see, you know, uh, and experience stuff and you want to share with it, you know, within the, the, the confines of, you know, being a good, a good listener and a good sharer, right. you know, when you take them through that, um, yeah, you get to that other point, but you start at this good spot and then, you know, this yeah. is life. There's the right. good and there's the bad of life. And, you know, right. you, you need to be able to communicate uh, to people, to your mom and dad, to your brothers and sisters, right. to your sister, to the policeman. I mean, it, it right. really is a, a good message um, that you have there. Well, and I think the message that I think a lot of us in our generation that grew up was children were supposed to be seen but not heard. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that's the message that's really the most appropriate message anymore, because I think that the world is, you know, especially in this pandemic when, you know, things are hard. And I, I think even adults, as an adult, I can be better about talking about my feelings, too. Sometimes, you know, it's just easy to quash your feelings and move on right. or try to move on. But, it, you know, I, I, I do remember when I was in grade school and things weren't I had a hard time finding friends and I didn't feel like I fit in. And, uh -huh. you know, I would get an upset stomach on Sunday nights um, because Before I didn't want to go to school. school. Right. So, 
Um, and I think that if I had been better about telling people what I was feeling, I probably wouldn't have had those upset stomachs every Sunday night before school. So, so yes, it was, um, you know, it wasn't my idea, but I certainly, when I was asked to write it, I had to, you know, think a little bit more about, you know, just again, try to, I always try to get in touch with that, you know, first grade, second grade kid that's and then, still and inside me. Completely to the, like 180 degrees, freaky, <laughs> funky fish is a blast and yet yes. very scientific. Yes. And, and it's very scientific even for a four-year-old, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So you can I, be I a four-year-old so. and get it, or you can be, because I, I got in touch with my <laughs> inner four-year-old and I was saying, well, what's my favorite fish here? What, you know, and I'm going to ask you that question in a second, okay. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it, 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 you have the, the way that it's set up, which is going to lead me to another question, but you know, it's both scientific and fun at the same time. And that's another reason why I'll say to all those grandparents and parents out there, please go search this book out. Freaky, Funky Fish by Deborah Kempf Shoemaker. But um, it, it, it was... Um, it, it was just so much fun. So my question to you is, what do you think my favorite fish was in the whole book? What, your favorite touch, fish? Yeah, that's that's in in um because I got in touch with my inner four-year-old. Okay. okay. Then I'm gonna guess it's the, the parrot fish that covers itself in snot. <laughs> oh my god, that's exactly right. Who would have thought that there's a fish that covers itself in its own snot? I know. So that the other fish in the coral sea cannot go and eat it. It it was it's absolutely amazing. fantastic. <laughs> it's amazing. How did you that is really spot on? And by it, the way, everybody, if you think this is a setup, you're wrong. <laughs> That's not my favorite fact in that book. So my favorite your, fish in that book is the the barrel eye fish, the one with the see-through head. Yeah, what was up you, with that? That have you, know, you people checked say out the I video? have you people say that I have an empty, <laughs> empty brain, but that fish really has an empty head. Well, it's not empty, it's just see-through. Right. It's a see it's <laughs> Did see you go look yeah. at the video? I have the link in the back of the book. Oh no, I didn't do that. No. Oh, Sorry. you have to check out this video. Once I saw this video, I am like, this fish has got to end up in my so it, it you know, I could do like... that now if you want, but it might, <laughs> I, you know. I, I don't want to take up too much it's, of your time. It's so cool because it kind of looks like, you know how like a, piter, uh, a fighter fly, fighter plane has kind of like that half shield over yeah, the Yeah, it's a canopy. Is. It's called yeah. a canopy. So that's what this fish looks like. <laughs> it's see-through right. and it's got these tubes. They, they look like barrels, green barrels that point up. Okay. And then, and then it also has two things that point frontward. And you think that the two things- <laughs> Um, but Keep anyway, going. yeah, so the barrel eye, the things that point up are actually its eyes. And um, it's likely due to, you know, because it lives so deep in the ocean that they have to do everything to gather as much light as they can. So the, right. fish, the head is see-through, but then these eyes point up, but then once they catch prey, these eyes rotate. <laughs> it's just the coolest video I've ever seen. Well, the flashlight so. fish, no. We're... Yeah, it's right. It's I think it's right in the middle. Here it is. Paired with the one that plays dead. 
Yes. So, and I love Claire, um, Claire Powell's illustrations. You know, I, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. So, I do have to give her credit though. How do you draw a see-through head? So I think that the photo, um, that's one thing that it probably is not coming out as well. The photograph or the video is so incredibly cool. Which leads me to one of my other questions, yes. um, which makes this, you know, uh, a, a natural next step is how did, how, how do you choose your illustrator? Do, do you choose the illustrator? Does the no, publisher choose the, the publisher illustrator? chooses them. And traditionally published Do, do you books, have a right of first refusal? Do you have any say in um, it at all? Like saying, yes that's not no. what I was trying yes to. Yes and no. Um, even though you're saying you love Claire's work, right? Yeah. Oh, they <laughs> but, do. You know, especially when it was my debut book, um, you, you don't really know. If it, Beggars can't be choosers. Well, yes and no. Like I said, I think if I had a strong, um, if there was a strong reason to say no, I think they'd take that into consideration, but it sure. is their vision. I mean, they're the ones paying to produce the book. They yes. have visions in mind. So it's their, it's their press. Right. I get so, it. Um, right. So, um, but I mean, dear God, she did such a fantastic oh, job. Oh, these, these are great. They're great. so much fun. They're so much fun. And they're generally accurate. I mean, we had, so I had a scientist from the Smithsonian Natural History Museum yeah. who um, <clears throat> I had reviewed. Is the that text. the one in Leesburg or is that the one downtown? No, this is the one in downtown. I mean, I just went online and yeah. you know, found an ichthyologist and just reached out to, an, you know, uh, and for those a of there. you, um, ignorant people that's a guy that really knows a lot about fish or a woman this was a woman <laughs> oh a guy and i use that gender yeah, i do too I, I frequently use guy as right so but yeah so i just reached out um i wanted someone to verify my information in the text and sure. um so then when i got the drawings and then the art um the first round of art i also sent it to her and she pointed out like the stingray initially claire had drawn the the stinger coming out it wasn't in the right position you know oh, okay. so things like that i mean they're, they're definitely cartoonish looking fish but generally speaking they're anatomically, they're, still they're, they're, they're still accurate i mean they you know okay. um they don't close one eye when they play dead like she put in the illustration but you know that's again to get the message across but um but no they are definitely i mean it's a non-fiction picture book so we wanted um you know, I had them, I had the scientists review the information too. So let me just say, what advice would you give somebody who's an aspiring children's book author? If you were to say, hey, um, let me, you know, here I am in the beginning of, of my, uh, my career as an author. Um, let me share this with you. Yes. So um, several words of advice. The first thing is to read modern current picture books published in the last three or four years not something 10 years ago not something 20 years ago yeah um, because you want to know what's selling today um because the competition is fierce <laughs> it it's is so got fierce. to be so what i do is and i took some courses just online courses um, yeah I joined um, SCWI, which is the society of book writers of children's book writers and illustrators um, and found a critique group where we get together. Initially, I was only in one. We get together once a month and we exchange stories and we give each other feedback. Sure. Um, 
And the other thing that I, I tell everyone who wants to do it is um, picture books are short. They're usually um, under 500 words. Nonfiction ones sometimes are longer, but I type them up because I'm not an illustrator. And when, you know, so I am just trying to sell the words and they're going to find the illustrator. And the challenge in picture books is there's no reason for me to say the color for anything. Um, I don't need to say they're in a room with a table and a chair because right. um, you just you have to focus on the core of the story. Um, the 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 trend for picture books today is less than 500 or 400 words for the most part. Okay. Uh, so I type up picture books that I love that I want to emulate. I type up and I have a file of hundreds of picture books that I type up. It just kind of gets me because picture books are all about pacing and page turns and leaving room for the illustrator. Um, yeah. And until you see picture books without the art, so you know what a writer did in order to sell that book. Yeah. So to me, it, to me, it's just practice. It's by typing up other people's picture books. Um, and then um, have thick skin because thousands and thousands and thousands of writers want to be published. And um, there's lots of gatekeepers in the industry. Uh, initially, I started looking for publishers, but most publishers don't take, um, it's called unsolicited submissions. They will right. only take submissions from agents. Um, okay. So, and you can't just say, I want an agent and interview two agents and then pick one. I mean, it's really the agents interview you. <laughs> well, they're a different type of gatekeeper, right? Right, they are different. So it took me, I, I started writing and submitting stories well, I started writing in 2006 when I was pregnant with our third child. I probably didn't really start submitting things until 2009, but I didn't really do it seriously to probably about 2011. Okay. Um, and I initially started with publishers, but then realized I needed an agent. And I didn't sign with an agent until 2017, if my numbers are correct. Okay. So it took that long. I mean, and so you're, you're sending your stories to agents and then it's agent if an agent likes one story because they're picture books and they don't make much money in picture books so they want to know that you're in it for the long haul then they'll ask for more stories and then if they like your stories then they'll sign you and then they're the ones submitting but you know i signed with an agent in 2017 and didn't get my first offer until 2019 so it's um i received hundreds and hundreds of rejections <laughs> so uh, my advice is you have to have thick skin and remember that an agent or publisher is rejecting the story you wrote. They're not rejecting you. <laughs> right. And that's a, that's a tough thing to learn. Right. right. And I wrote, I mean, I probably wrote, I write a lot of things. Then after, you know, a couple of drafts, I realized, ah, this one doesn't have any legs, but I wrote a total before I signed with my agent. I think I had 11 stories that I had been submitting on and off. Um, before I signed with her. And then it was my 15th story that I wrote and polished that actually sold. So it's a lot of work. <laughs> okay. So now who was the read, who was the author that, you know, adult author that you read um, uh, when you just want to be alone and have something to read and chill out? All right. So some authors that I have enjoyed in the last few years, because it changes a lot. Kristen Hanna writes... Okay a lot of women relationship type stories. Okay. But I also love, love, love psychological thrillers. Okay. <laughs> so, um, oh gosh, now you're putting me on the spot. There's definitely some authors that I read a lot of, but- I, I like David Balducci. 
don't know if I've read him in the past. I haven't picked him up in the last few years. Um, But I love psychological thrillers, missing people coming back. um, Right. You know, things like that. Um, Gosh, now I'm. (laughs) Then uh, wipe that one away. What do you watch? What are you streaming right now that you really enjoy? And you would say, I recommend this to people. I am one of those boring people who actually still watch network TV. Okay, (laughs) be boring. Um, Jeopardy. Oops, I record Jeopardy every day. And then um, This Is Us, which is on its last season. Nina used to watch that. I was uh, was never a fan. Yeah. And then we're still Survivor and Amazing Race fans. Okay. Um, So we record those. I like Amazing Race. Of any reality show, I mean, I actually hate reality shows because... By the way, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but this is not, this is like the Santa Claus moment for the audience, but they're not real. Right. There is no reality. <laughs> but I'm the, the amazing race is something that I always enjoyed. One, because they're going all over the place. Right. Right. Um, and then, so we do now, since we never, besides cable, we just never had streaming services, but right. when the pandemic hit, we've now we've got them all so um ted lasso was awesome oh my god loved it loved it love love ted lasso the queen's gambit you know we're always about a year we're always about a year after everyone's raving about it then tom and i we're just always late to fads and trends yeah me too i mean uh I, I, um, I love the Queen's Gambit. I thought it was just terrific. Yeah. The first the first one, I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure about this, but we stuck with it and I enjoyed yeah. it. But yeah. Ted, Ted Lasso, oh, the Queen's Gambit was a whole different deal, but right. Ted Lasso was such a, a good male character. Yeah, you know? it, it is such a good show. I mean, I'm assuming it's coming back for a third season. I believe that but, it is. Yes, I think it is. It is. So, yes. So, um, so we, we have hopped on um what's your next book going to be about it is a follow-up to freaky funky fish called peculiar primates fun facts about these curious creatures Um, okay it comes out in october it's the same illustrator the same publisher um it's just about really you know interesting and funny things that primates do to survive in the environments that they live in are you going to have a gibbon there is a gibbon in there yes (gasps) oh good i like gibbons what yes, other what other great apes or minor apes? Right. So there's um um there's lorises, okay. there's patos, there's um, you know, obviously chimpanzees, gorilla the gorillas in there, um okay. orangutans, you know, small apes, large apes, um it's just, yeah, it's really I don't want fun. you to give anything away. <laughs> no, it's really fun. I mean, colored butts and colored faces and baboons that floss their teeth. It's really, it's, yeah, it's really, really very interesting. That, that gene was not passed down to me. <laughs> so, no, it's another fascinating um, take on, um, you know, interesting things that animals do to survive in the environments they live in. So Snow it's going to be from really Japan. fun. What was that? Snow monkeys from Japan. Yes, they're the ones uh, they soak and splash. They're, yes. they're in there. Yep, they're in there. So um, yeah, that comes out in October. I think it's October 11th of 2022. Okay. So, so I want to thank you for um, coming on and being such a gracious guest. You, you really, I um, uh, think we hit podcast gold today, frankly, oh. Deb. Oh, 
thank you so much. But well, thank you for having me. This is fun. I always right. love talking about my books and books in general. I just believe that everyone should be reading picture books. I think that they're perfect for any age. Well, I'm going to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, gramps, hey, grandma, tell someone. And Ricky, funky fish. <laughs> so um, as a grandpa, I he heavily recommend both of these and greatly recommend both of these. I want to thank you, Deb, for, um, and thank for you. being my guest. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2022. Happy 2022. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to Deborah. You know, you can find her books, Tell Someone, and Freaky Funky Fish on her website, DebraShoemaker.com. Or you can find them in many bookstores, or you can order them on Amazon. I'll put the link to her website in my podcast release. My next episode, I'm tentatively going to call it Truth and Reconciliation. But that may change. So no matter what, I hope you'll listen in. You have just listened to an HJM Enterprises LLC production.